welcome to the Seneca Podcast, a discussion about current affairs in China, coming to you from the pop-up Chinese villa here in Beijing. I'm Kaiser Guo, joined, of course, by Jeremy Goldhorn of Danway.com fame. Say hello, Jeremy. Good evening to you, Kaiser. Enjoying the villa we are. Yes, and I hope everyone had a good Dragon Boat Festival. Jeremy, uh, as a new father, you still get to look forward to explaining to your progeny the origins of this particular holiday, Duan Wu Jie, with uh, well, you know, the eating of Zongzi and celebration of Qiyan and saving that true patriot's rotting corpse from what uh, the, the f- being nibbled to death by or he's already dead d- nibbled by fish. I guess that's the whole origin of the whole dragon boat race, which is... I, I suppose so, although, you know, having been involved in English language media about China for, you know, almost two decades, I think I've told that story or written that story or edited that story, you know, maybe a thousand times. So, okay, so you're you not... Know, but my kids actually heard it for the first time this year, and they were grossed out, which, of course, is, like, the best state for a kid to be, and they, they love to experience gross... So today on Seneca, <laughs> we welcome Matthew Niederhauser, a photojournalist whose work has garnered accolades and has now appeared in some very prestigious publications, including National Geographic, The New Yorker, New York Times, Newsweek, Foreign Policy, and, and, and more. Uh, his work has even been displayed at the National Portrait Gallery in London. Welcome to Seneca, Matthew. It's great to be here. Thanks, man. So we're going to be talking with Matthew about Beijing from a visual perspective, and yes, this does make us painfully aware of certain limitations of the podcast as a medium, but of course, we'll have plenty of links on the podcast page to Matthew's work, some of which you've probably encountered if you uh, pay t- attention to, to the English language media that's written on China, uh, You probably, or even Korea. You had that great, <laughs> that, that whole, that must have been fun, getting to hang out with all these gorgeous, like, the K-pop story. The K-pop yeah. story. The K-pop story. Right. The, the best but, part was that it was actually shot in Jakarta at a stadium concert. And so I wasn't even in Korea, and it was one of the more crazy shoots I've ever been sent off to. But um, I have spent an evening with the best of K-pop, yes. <laughs> and did it leave you a changed man? Um, you don't want to get too close to them, actually. Once you see the, the makeup and the outfits, when you're not sort of in the audience of a stadium, uh-huh. you, you realize what's really going on. Uh. Well, a lot of people will be very depressed to hear that. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, so Matt, as maybe you've already heard, is, is kind of a thinking dude. And uh, he has a lot of amazing stories to tell, not all of which in, 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 in involve disabusing people about their beliefs in the beauty, or the external beauty, anyway, of K-pop starlets. Um, but he's got a really a really big one for us, which we're going to save for the end of the show to make you, you sit through it. Um, and it will be, I promise, of great interest to you China watchers out there, and will be revealed for the first time right here on Seneca. Um, but first, I think we'd be remiss, and I think Matt I, I just in here. D- d- Dan, listeners, please take note. There should have been a drum roll to emphasize. Yeah. Well, uh, Dave, insert drum roll. Actually, Dave is in Hong Kong, right? Right. Dave's Very in- suspiciously in Hong yes. Kong. Yes, and which which actually um, reminds me of what we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about, which is of course Le Fair Snowden. And Matthew, you should, you know, like I said, you know, thinky guy. So jump in here if you if you feel so inclined. Um, that, of course, has dominated the news in the last week um, by virtue, in part, of uh, where our former Booz Allen Hamilton systems administrator come hero to millions slash traitor to a few. Um, Edward Snowden has fled. That is Hong Kong. 
So last week we kind of hinted half-jokingly at the possibility that The Guardian and The Post had been leaked all this top-secret information about the National Security Agency's alleged program to intercept massive amounts of, 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 of Internet data from just about every company that we, we use day-to-day. Uh, that program, of course, is called PRISM. Um, we would and then what do you know? The, the, the guy yeah. responsible for, for the leak flees to China, yes. more or less. More, or, more or less. I mean, and the more or less is actually something that, that's a matter of, of, of quite a bit of controversy. Um, there were people, uh, you know, Regina Ip, for example, who was quick to remind everybody that, that there is a, uh, an extradition treaty that Hong Kong reliably follows through on uh, between the United States and, and, and Hong Kong, which was put into place in 1996 before the handover. Uh, but there are others who have said that there are loopholes, that, that, that Snowden might be able to uh, point to the example, for example, of Bradley Manning, who has been um, tortured, at least if you, if, if you, if you believe uh, some of the human rights reports that are out there, that, that it would at least, at the very least, take an awfully long time for uh, the work to go through to have him extradited. We should remind everybody also that there has been no uh, no notice given to the Hong Kong government that we're aware of that, that he is, is that the Obama administration has not asked for his extradition yet, right? And the, op- the yeah, we don't know. And the optics could look very bad of all of that essentially for, for the U.S. government. So it is, I mean, it, it's a tricky situation. Right. So, um, you know, like I said, we, we'd been half-joking that, that this had been leaked ahead of the, the Sunnylands summit between President Obama and President Xi Jinping. Uh, Jeremy, are you anywhere? I mean, you know, you're, you're not the conspiracy theorist. That, I, I mean, I really about. usually hate conspiracy theories. You know, even if they're true, I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> I just hate them. Um, so I tend not to believe it. Uh, I mean, the choice was, to me, very interesting because you can get on a plane from Hawaii and fly to a lot of places. You can fly... Uh, well, you can't fly to Iceland without stopping over in the United States. No. In the continental U.S. But still, you know, Hong Kong, I suppose it is, you know, it's one of the world's busiest airports. There are a lot of flights there. I mean, maybe that was really what dictated it. But it, it's a very interesting position for both the Chinese and the U.S. governments to be in because it could go very stinky if it's handled uh, wrongly by uh, either of them. Um, there's part of me that almost thinks that actually he's a double agent working for the CIA. and so, for the CIA? Uh, yeah, well, the shtick is this, that he, he's, he's trying to um, basically sell the, the secrets to the Chinese secret service uh, that he allegedly has. But in fact, he's a double agent. I mean, wouldn't that be a clever bit of spy tomfoolery? Wait, weren't you just the guy who five minutes ago yeah, said I, didn't, I don't um, want to call you out on this one. No, but, yeah, but, he deserves uh, to be called you know, out. Uh, I mean, if you're going to go conspiracy, it could get that. Uh, I, I don't believe that. I, I'm saying, you know, you, well, you could make all kinds of stories. This is a very interesting choice, why he came here. So, so actually, my, I, I'm, I'm, I, I tend to think that it has absolutely nothing to do with the summit. And the reason I say that, I mean, I, I have a very big disagreement on this matter with, with Bill Bishop, who, who thinks that it's almost certainly um, related. But I think Sunnylands was actually uh, only uh, – it, it had been planned for maybe, what, seven or eight weeks, but – uh, was only announced a, a matter of a few weeks ago, uh, prior, prior to the summit itself. And in Glenn Greenwald, I did that successfully. I said Glenn Glen, Greenwald. Okay. Glenn Greenwald. We've it's, been in East Asia too long. It's a very bad name for podcasting. I f- I'm fine to type it, but to say it, I, I just can't. You've been in East Asia too long. Uh, right. Uh, right. That's why. Where there, there are no elections. E- erections? <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, could he have possibly known that the summit was coming and then timed the leak? I don't. I don't. I don't think so. I think that that um, this was uh, 
Uh, there are reputable China watchers who believe, like I mentioned, Bill Bishop. But, yeah, uh, I have a hard time believing that. I, I'd rather believe the conspiracy theory that I just uh, explained, that he's a double agent, than that. Jeremy and I Matthew, think he just ended up here. What about, what about the reaction here among ordinary folks in China? Have you you've told this story? You've been talking about this story with, with, with folks? Matthew, what do you think? I mean, I, I don't think anybody is really going to raise eyebrows at the end of the day. I, yeah. For the past decade, I don't really trust anything I put online in the first place. Emails, phone calls. I well, mean, that's because you're in China. I'm in China, but I even felt so much uh, the same way in the United States. I mean, oh, okay. there's there's always been loopholes in the Internet that allow almost not even just the government, but anybody really to get a hold of any digital information. But as to whether or not um, you know he's this traitor or a hero— Quite frankly, I think any sort of uh, openness with regard to such government programs, I think, is should be lauded. You mm-hmm. know, um, I believe in sort of uh, name droppers and uh, whistleblowers. Whistleblowers, um, not name droppers though. Those, those guys are really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I was just talking to uh, my my you know my high placed. Uh, re- real estate developer friends. No, no, it's just joking. No, I'm not going to be a name dropper. <laughs> so I, I, I ran this. Oh, by- John. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's just a little foretaste of what's to come. Uh, we have. Um, jo- I, I had band rehearsal the other night, and I was talking to my, my bandmates, and and you know was ex- sort of excitedly telling them about this. And there are all these you know kind of jaded Beijing dudes. You know who spend all their lives on the internet anyway. Yeah, even though they're heavy metal musicians, so they're semi literate, and they they sort of just, just sort of looked at me and shrugged, and then tried to best me with tales about their own connections to China's you know security services, uh, and and the horror stories that they've heard about the extent of, of, of eavesdropping here, and said you know they're not surprised at all that that America should be. I mean that's the reaction you're hearing from a lot of people. Is, I think most people in China assume that the, all governments are doing it. And right. they're, they're. Well, there's large polls even right now for for people in the United States who don't really care that they're getting a hold of the phone metadata. I mean, I think I'm a little bit more worried about actual voice recordings that sort of could get out without a court order. Right. But being able to check logs or seeing if you know supposed or possible terrorists are you know contacting people consistently uh most of the polls you know are are for you know some oversight on that sense but use of metadata but the thing is it's like you actually just don't know how deep it goes and that's the thing is snowden could just be scratching the surface and that's that's you know what i find scary is i think you do see symptoms uh james fallows has been writing about uh, pilots of small planes, and he is one himself, so he knows uh, what he's talking about, in the United States being uh, stopped and basically just harassed because they're obviously on some list. And nobody can figure out why. He's written several blog posts about this. And, I mean, I, to me, the logical reason that that is happening is this guy has just somehow met some kind of correlation, some data point that they're looking for. So then they go after him, even though he's like a Midwestern farmer, you know, who's, you know, never been in a mosque, they just decide, okay, he's a jihadist or something, you know, I find that scary. And I, I, I think that, as you say, any openness okay. about this is good. Let's not take this too far away from China. And I didn't really want to, you know, like, let's, you know, pass judgment on whether Snowden's a hero or a traitor. But I don't know if he's a hero. I don't think Matthew said he's a hero or a traitor. I, I think if I can agree with what I think you were saying is that we don't know about him, but openness and transparency and sunlight sure. is a good thing, right? Yeah. Well, he did use the word lauded. 
Okay, so um, let's let's move along and, and, and get into the meat of our conversation with uh, with Matthew. You actually started studying Mandarin in high school, right? Yeah, I started my freshman year of high school. Wow, and and, and why? Um, I hated my French teacher in, <laughs> in, in middle school, and uh, I, I don't actually remember the actual moment when I wrote down Chinese as a freshman. Um, but I had a, a really amazing language teacher who had gotten out of China during the Cultural Revolution and had this crazy story, and he was a, a philosopher and meditated four hours a day and was this really great guy, and he, uh, he got me started really early. Oh, wow. And, um, and did four years in high school and then did a gap year here in Beijing in 2000, and that was my first time I came to Beijing. And yet you still say Beijing. Picking, fucking, fucking. It was was this also also the same time you started getting into photography as well as yeah. in high school. High school was I was in the dark room for three years uh-huh. and I started um, you know black and white processing my own negatives and it was a rather old school method but one that I still greatly appreciate. And at some point you decided it. Hey, let's combine the two. It wasn't well. Um, I went to I, I went to school in New York at Columbia, and I started in the East Asian Language and Culture Department. But mm-hmm. I, I I I didn't really take photographs in New York actually, and oh, I, really? I, I photographed a lot when I traveled, but I never uh, fell in love with New York visually in a strange sense. Where it's also one of the most photographed cities on the planet. Right. Um, but I did shoot concerts. In New York, ah. uh, and back then it was also a great way to sort of get best seats in the house and and take photos. Um, but it wasn't until after I graduated and I was doing a stint at the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations. Yeah, Jed Barrison company. Exactly. Yeah. And, hey, Jed. Uh, yeah. Hey, what's up? And uh, remember me? Probably not. Uh, I was there for maybe six months, and I was at the International Center of Photography and. And moving from being a student to a laborer in New York is a rather um, a big wake-up call. Yeah. And at some point, I was I just said, forget this. I'm just going to go back to China. It's about a year before the Olympics, and just see if I can do photojournalism full time. Just, mm-hmm. just tr- why am I sitting in a seat on 23rd Street at the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, just reading news day in day out? Um, you got the itch. I got the itch. Yeah. I was. I, I felt. I felt it was time. Yeah. So you. You're one of those people who came over. Oh seven. Oh eight. Right. I mean. Oh seven. Oct- I October two thousand seven. I returned. Okay. So um, one of the things that I always feel. I don't know, if Jeremy, if you feel the same way. Maybe you do. Um, in, in my own observations of China, whether in images, infrequent, or in words, is I'm lacking a fresh set of eyes. I, I feel like um, you know, I often I'll, I'll ride right by something which, you know, on in hindsight. Is, is quite remarkable, and I'll, I'll have sort of forgotten to remark on it or even to have noted it. Just the, the crazy things that one sees every every day here that one doesn't see every day um, just no longer get me. Was, uh, how about you? I mean, that's why I, I like talking to these young whippersnappers. We've only been here five years. Right, only five or six years. I did a year in 2000. You know, six. So, yeah, I'm getting there. Yeah, you're getting there. But yeah, I think, you know, under, under a decade, you're still... Yeah. So I mean, I'm, I'm thinking in particular. I mean, when you look at the work of of, of older photographers like Mark Leung, uh, do you think what do you think sets you apart from from uh, these these kinds of guys who were here like 20 years ago? Um, 
Uh, I mean, it really has to do with the timing. I mean, 2007, 2008 was really unprecedented in terms of what was coming out in the city. And I, I returned specifically to uh, do a project on urban development leading up to and through the Olympics, ah. basically how the city was being shaped um, by the new Olympic infrastructure. And so I was, I was going to the ends of all the new subway lines, uh, the number five, and you know all these new sort of uh, uh, urban extensions and um, concentrating on sort of this massive facelift that had been ongoing. The mega blocks be, that you were the, exactly right. the, the the mega blocks and and um, you know where you know large chunks of land are handed over to a developer. Um, and in many ways, you know, they don't really take into consideration what's going on around them in these mega blocks, especially like in Wangjing, yeah. you know, where the, they turn into these sort of urban islands, you know, with surrounded by large avenues or freeways. And uh, just, just the, the uh, taking a look at how the city actually was manifesting versus um, the supposed modern or harmonious or cultured nature that was being espoused in white papers and in government rhetoric. Or in the, the models that they've created. I think that that's one really interesting thing is that you, you juxtapose these sort of macro shot pictures of 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 the uh, the models that are in, in the planning museum. Right? Yeah. Well, and that's that I was trying to look at the gap between um, you know, how they imagined it to be in this perfect layout with little trees and no cars, and <laughs> it, it looks beautiful. Um, and then the way that it actually, um, you know, is built uh, is more often than not quite unlivable or, or sort of engenders certain uh, consumer habits, uh, transportation methods that are unsustainable, be, unsustainable yeah. and yeah. can't be expanded. Um, and uh, yeah, generally unpleasant. Uh, yeah, I mean, kind of dehumanizing, yeah. right? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, that, that's just something I, I guess I've, I've noticed about a lot of the photography that you've done is it has this sociological dimension to it. Would, yeah. would you agree? Yeah, I, I did. I did uh, within my East Asian language and culture major. You get associated with another apartment. I did anthropology. Oh, anthropology. Okay, yeah. very cool. Um, um, so you you kind of, if I may surmise, you kind of capture the in images. Um, these massive sociological or anthropological shifts. I mean, mega block apartment living and the shift from kind of everyone knows everybody in the courtyard and along the hutong in the neighborhood to the kind of insular total anonymity of the modern apartment. Yeah. You do China's love affair with the car and all, all, all this stuff. Is that, is that, is that fair? Yeah, no, I mean, visions of modernity, which is the project the series, that, right? that you're talking about. Not, was, not just that though. I think it yeah, goes beyond. No, across the board, but it's, it's about, uh, you know, the advent of a new consumer society, which is becoming even more important now for uh, the new Pulitboro as, you know, the, uh, the vehicle for sustained economic development. And, and, you know, these new mega block apartments and the reliance on cars um, all, you know, uh, builds up to uh, more consumption and uh, people spending more money in, in new and different ways. The, fir the first time we chatted, which wasn't too long ago, uh, you, or I, I, I think I brought him up, um, I, I brought up a photographer whose work I really admire and who has shot a lot in China as well, uh, Edward Bertinsky. Uh, have you been influenced by his work at all? Big time. Big time, um, yeah. yeah he, was, 
his I, I came back actually to China in 2007 with a large format camera. Wow. Um, and you know when you see his prints in person, they're just amazing. And you know his 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 project on the way that industry has shaped the landscape um, is amazing. And of course, he did a lot of urban landscapes, but mainly in Shanghai. Uh, but um, so in that sense, like some of my mega block stuff is it resembles it a lot. Jeremy, um, have, have you seen um, manufactured seen, manufactured landscapes? Yes, that, I have. Isn't it's, that it's, just it's astonishing? An extraordinary, and it, it does very much capture a side of China that I mean, it's one of the things I find thrilling and horrifying about living here. That, that's a good pairing of adjectives. I mean, it's both thrilling and horrifying. <laughs> China actually generally can be described as thrilling and horrifying, um, and yeah, I, I, some of your work has that 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 aspect to it the the mega blocks it is thrilling uh, and horrifying at the same time it's i mean it's, it's beautiful and it's it's so ugly and it's, it's, it's ugly. The, the beauty is ugly it's amazing when you're when you're overlooking tian tong yuan yeah. you know what i mean and does everyone know tian tong yuan you've been up there right yes it's it's, it's quite far north of I mean, the center of town. end of the five line end of the five line it's uh. it's 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 ama- i mean it was built on a, a landfill yeah you can see it in Google Maps, really easily, just carved out this large corner chunk, or, ba- or Baidu maps, by the yeah, way. or Baidu, three um, D. Actually, they don't go outside the fourth ring road, um, and uh, it's made for four hundred thousand people, right. and um, it's 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 uh, it's when you're above it all, you know, it has this amazing, um, amazing presence, you know, and it can really suck you in. Um, but you know, once you are down on the ground and, and, and seeing what's going on, you know, it can get, yeah, the, the ground, flow. it's got a lot of just kind of shitty retail and like, you know, kind of people were holed up. I mean, it's, that's the thing. It's, it's a, it's a respite from, uh, 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 price hikes and apartments in the city. And it's, it's just where people sort of sleep and then I was stuck in a, I think a five or six hour traffic jam in Tiantong Yuan once actually uh, <laughs> because you know when there was that famous Badaling Expressway traffic jam the you know the mm-hmm. 100 day or 10 oh, yeah, day yeah, or 100 yeah. mile day, or day, whichever you know whatever you want to call the it the Man price hikes right but basically there was a lot of traffic jams around that time and one of those days I got stuck in Tiantong Yuan I think it was five hours wow. in good lord good lord most, Appalling traffic. So, Matthew, yeah. I, I used to anyway. tease Mark Leung. You know Mark, right? Yeah. Uh, I used to tease him about all his publishing, you know, kind of China, a portrait in squalor. And on <laughs> the. Shame. And Mark's <laughs> such a good name. He, he's, no, he's a great guy. I, mean, I love him. But on those few occasions when I'd be off with him on a photo shoot, you know, back in my journalism days, I, I always thought it would be funny how he'd, you know, tell a driver to stop and he'd jump out and start snapping photos of every heap of rubbish or every tumble down hovel that we'd pass and, right um, china hating foreigner just taking pictures of the ugly stuff well, well, I mean, so, <laughs> so matthew if we were better friends uh, i might joke that you're documenting china a portrait in contemptible grandiosity and cheese yeah um, is that, is that fair? <laughs> yeah i mean that that fits more with the the project um this other project called counterfeit paradises which, well, that, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's the cheese. Yeah, that's the cheese. And the gra- there's some grandiosity as well. I oh mean, yeah, yeah, grandiose cheese. <laughs> grandiose cheese. Um, you know, and that's looking at a all me- very nicely shot, of course. <laughs> a beautiful. It's, it's aesthetically pleasing. As long as it's aesthetically pleasing, you can buy it. You know, um, it's uh, and that's about amusement parks, the fake European cities. Wow. And then I did not know there were so many of them. There are a lot of them. I mean, oh my God, like every European country is in some way represented. Yeah. Almost there's a lot of European countries just represented in Shanghai alone. But um, 
uh, yeah, I've gone and tracked these places down, and I try to visit amusement parks and just sort of investigating the fantasy that comes out of sort of going to an amusement park, which is a suspension of reality just for a day. But these theme developments is supposed to be a suspension of reality for your life, for your life, yeah, or at least. And your, no. and the, yeah, and then and then last, and I go to all these new urban extensions around the country, which I f- I personally feel is requires just as much of a suspension of reality to actually think that you're living in a modern, harmonious, cultured, urban environment. And um, so I think there's a lot of conflation, um, especially when you have cities where it's like mega blocks and then they put in this postmodern opera house and a museum as these distractions right. from the, the these greater uh, the greater sort of urban, you know, horror. Not, horror. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty dehumanizing, I gotta say. Uh, so, how, how, I mean, how how do you find these places? I mean, how I'm I'm curious. I mean, how did, how is it that so many of these have escaped my attention? Like the Austrian one, for example. I had no idea that there was one that, where they were all sort of based on these alpine chalets. I had no idea, for example, that, that uh, there's this entire development that that is based on the 13th arrondissement in Paris. That I mean, one's in Hangzhou, the Tian Du Chang. Um, oh my God! It's uh, it's it's been out there. Some people have covered them. I find them sometimes through domestic media, um, but I I have it's going to be like closed down. I have, excuse me, I have a Google reader. Sorry about that. Am I allowed to talk about Google on this? You program? are. You are. Don't worry. <laughs> um, and I I go through tons of news feeds and um, I I pick up the weird stuff and sometimes they've been covered maybe by like a wire guy tangentially and then i go in and i, I have lists i don't know i just have lists <laughs> of these places I you still need managed to, to knock them mostly off now i mean yeah most of the european cities there's a few more city um cities i want to head up there's some weird ones outside of Chengdu. especially i've heard um there's a they've built this like european villa town in actually uh, a place affected by the Sichuan earthquake oh, wow. as in order to stimulate tourism there um and also Chung, southern Chengdu is experiencing a massive urban extension. They're building the largest building in the world there that's going to um, house an indoor water park with a wave generator that you're going to be capable to surf on and um, other huge urban extensions. Gnarly, dude. Very gnarly. And, um, and then there's some more outside of Shanghai and... Uh, so what do these mean? I mean, what, what, does it, what does it tell you about Chinese society that people are, that developers think it wise to build these reconstructions of, of you know, 19th century European villages or towns, and, uh, and they expect the Nouveau Riche to, you know, to, to move in there? I mean, well, 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 the thing is, a lot of the apartments are sold right up front, you know? Yeah, but don't what, you think what is it, it is merely the expression of the appalling taste of most real estate developers? And I mean, you know, as someone who knows a few, you know, I mean, you know, very few of them have good taste. Only a very, very few. And their good taste, they'd rather express in their own lives if they do have it, rather than the the crap they sell to the masses. But I mean, I, I genuinely think that you have a class of people who have absolutely no taste making decisions about these things, and they see uh, the necessity to provide a selling point. Wow. I, I, would, I would almost definitely agree with that. Uh, I mean, the people who have gotten in these positions who press the green light or finance the money, 
they didn't get there in the first place by making good decisions. It's usually through connections and the ability to, you know, uh, uh, the ability to put together the deal. But aesthetically, and especially in terms of like landscape architecture and design, um, they're 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 far from sort of any progressive mark at all. And here, I thought that wealth correlated with taste perfectly. I think it does, but it takes time. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It takes a bit of but time. It, it takes does. three generations. <laughs> yeah. Well, in three generations, or two, maybe. Last, I don't know. Though. You know, China, everything happens fast. Maybe it'll everything will be fine by next year, but I don't think so. Wow. Uh, they've built so much. I mean, that's that's the point. It's, it's we're now cursed with these things until. It, what do you do? I mean, I just. Uh, like the Tiandu Chang, I mean, they're 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 building still, um, and I've gone back uh, once or twice. And my favorite part of the Tiandu Chang um, is, you know, they have this fake Eiffel Tower. I think it's the third largest Eiffel Tower replica on the planet. <laughs> All um, right, and I think the the first largest replica is in Shenzhen, on, right, at Windows, Windows on the, on the World, world right, which right. is an amazing place. Um, and uh, it was supposed to be this nice green park around the Eiffel Tower, and um, nobody has been moving into the apartments. You just have, like, random migrant workers and maybe some grandmothers with their children or something. And so the park around the Eiffel Tower has been completely appropriated by migrant workers, and they're putting in ad hoc vegetable plots all around the Eiffel Tower. And it's, it's so it's this huge rusting Eiffel Tower, and then all these people just planting beans and vegetables (laughs) and carrots, you know, on these little ad hoc plots. That's kind of awesome. It's it's a green revolution that's coming out of Hangzhou (laughs) right now. I need to see this place. I really don't get around as much as I really ought to. So, Matthew, I guess I first became aware of your work from uh, the photos that you took of a lot of D22 bands, the the club that Michael Pettis opened, um, that series that's called uh, Sound Capital, capital with a K. Um, How did that whole thing come about? Um, when I first came back in October in 2007, uh, a friend of mine from college who actually uh, worked with at WKCR, the radio station for Columbia University, who is head of the Latin department and this really crazy drummer named Justin Padro, um, was working the soundboard for D22. And I remember that, dude. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's a really amazing drummer, a real, a real character. And... Um, and uh, I got in and I contacted him and uh, D22 used to have these four or five day sort of mini festivals during Golden Week um, and uh, uh, during the October holidays. And he was like, come up, check it out. I brought my camera and um, I think the first night I saw uh, like Joyside and the subs uh-huh. and was was really blown away. Yeah, subs are great. Yeah, Kung Mao just completely tore it apart. Yeah. And uh, D22 is a small venue, and I, I just couldn't, I couldn't really believe it. And so I went back, you know, the rest of the holiday and just took photos and was trying to hang out and be cool, you know, new foreigner on the scene. And, um, and I spoke with Charles uh, Saliba. Saliba and um, showed him some photos. And I was like, I want to hang out and, 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 and take photos. Um, and at the time they used to have some photos, uh, portraits on the wall mm-hmm. of some of their like favorite bands and some of them weren't really that good. And he's like, yeah, we want to retake the photos, make them consistent. And I had, uh, I, I'd come to China with a lighting kit 
and I was like, yeah, let's just start doing it. And um, so it, it came about quite naturally because a lot of these bands, um, uh, you know, I arrived right when the first CDs were coming out for maybe Mars. Like right. the first, it was like the first CD was Cars of Cars and it was Snapline. And um, none of these guys really had photos. And, and so it was on one sense like really utilitarian. I was taking portraits that they could use for magazines and put it on Doban and, and stuff like that. And um, it wasn't until I did that hedgehog photo with Adam with the boxing, right, with gloves. The boxing gloves. And it was such, iconic. It yeah. was such an amazing photograph. It was one of the first ones. And um, I was just so excited about it. I decided that. And I love that red wall, too. Oh, yeah, that's great. It's, it, it punches everything. And um, I decided that I'm going to do this. And I get obsessive compulsive about things. You know, uh, it's like I've got to go to the end of every single subway line in Beijing and I, I got into this group where I, I told myself I'm going to take a photo or the portrait of almost every band in, in, in Beijing or China or the underground or alternative scene or whatever you want to call right, it right, right. and um, you know so it ranged from punk post-punk electronic folk um, just know. not metal for some reason uh, I did go over to Club 13 once in a while and, and there were some sort of borderline metal guys um, and I, I mean, I still loved like voodoo kung fu and, oh, yeah, and twisted machine great. and it, but it's such, it, I, I still would love to almost do a project about it, but it was, it was this, it was a huge different entity and that I almost felt, um, it would, it would be hard to approach. And I f- sort of feel the same way about the hip hop scene as well. Right. And I'm interested in the hip hop scene a lot, especially people who do freestyling. Um, so do you think those bands that you photographed constitute kind of a scene organically or is this kind of the creation and or projection of a uh, Western fan base in Beijing or maybe even the creation of the sinister mind of Mr. M. Pettis? I mean, I've definitely, I've definitely helped mythologize it right. uh, visually and I'm well aware of that the whole entire, I mean, so many questions. Is D22 the CG... CBGBs of, of Beijing, and which I don't think is a fair comparison <laughs> at all. And, at all, and I mean, it, people trying to sort of like bring some sort oh, of yeah. Western metaphor to what occurred there, and and in a sense, there was a scene um, for a while. I think at D twenty two, and like and sort of it ebbed um, a bit, you know, near the end of D twenty two, which is one of the reasons I think Michael knew that. D twenty two had run its course in a strange sense. It had done what it what he wanted to do with it, and plus they were like getting their apartment. I mean, the rent was getting jacked up on them and right. and whatnot. Um, but there was a scene for a while, and and my favorite part of it was uh, there were really diverse musical styles being presented there, and you would sometimes have some metal guys show up, and everyone was sort of listening to each other and. For a lot of bands, and I mean, a lot of those bands that I shot there, even in the book, uh, I probably wouldn't want to hear them every night. But I was, I was so impressed with the number of people who were willing to get on stage and sort of even attempt to take this creative leap in a strange sense, <laughs> especially compared to 2000, you know, when I first lived here, where I couldn't, I couldn't find any live music. You know, it was, it, I mean, it, it was happening and maybe in like Wudaoko and some of these places and these, you know, DIY organized shows that I, I didn't really know about. Yeah. But um, I was impressed with the number of people who were willing to just sort of go for it. And some of them failed horribly. And, um, but, you know, there was sort of a, a core group of musicians who I also thought were making 
uh, I, really good music, and I saw some really am- amazing live sets. Yeah, we even played there once. We played an acoustic set there once on a on one of those Sunday folk days. That yeah, was, those were great. Yeah, good times. Um, All right, moving swiftly along, gentlemen. M- Matthew, you have this, this, this <laughs> very famous... I have my feelings music, about rock music. Music, China, is, music is cool. Yeah, yeah, I know. We've lost about 80% of our listeners with that 10 minutes on Chinese rock. And I'm standing up for you listeners who, you know... Let's go. Okay, so you, your portrait of Ai Weiwei holding that orange tabby cat at when you what, like five thousand pounds, uh, and is was hung in the uh, National Portrait Gallery in London. Um, so, the, but the story of that portrait actually goes on. It has a little bit of a longer life than that, and circles actually back to the subject of live music in China, although on a much larger scale. Tell us, Matthew, the story of how you were responsible for introducing Sir Elton John. And Ai Weiwei. It's not a little bit of history that I don't think anyone knows about. Um, it, it it came about uh, in a very surprising manner. But to begin with, I, I I took that portrait for foreign policy when they were doing their top 100 global thinkers, and um, I went in for a morning and and uh, was just doing some portraits of him in the studio. And last minute, I was trying to get him with his cat, and it sort of came together. And it's it's really great shot i really like it a lot and so i submitted it to the taylor wessing uh portrait prize through the national portrait gallery and um and they 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 chose it and um they flew me out for the opening and it was a big much to do and um and uh, a few weeks later after i returned uh from london i get an email from uh, the head of Sir Elton John's uh, photography collection. Um, he has one of the largest photo collections on the planet. He's, oh, I did not know that. He's a very avid collector uh, of contemporary art, and but especially photography. Um, and they uh, said that he'd gone to the show, he saw the portrait, he loved it, and he wanted to procure a copy and how to go about doing it. So I was like, yeah, I'm here in Beijing. I can print here and, and ship it, and I've done stuff like this before. And uh, the head of the uh, photography collection goes back to, and it's like, that's awesome. That's great. Elton's, I, I sort of knew in my mind secretly that Elton was playing in two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. And she writes back to me like, that's amazing. He wants to meet you and Ai Weiwei uh, before his show in three weeks in Beijing. And, of course, I was like, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> let's do this. And um, and so I, I put them in touch with Ai Weiwei's people, and we uh, you know organized it all, and and so before the concert, um, I showed up about an hour beforehand and got my backstage pass. You know, was waiting for me and whatnot, and uh, just was pretty much just escorted straight into Elton John's room. Um, and I was with a friend who has I'm, I'm working on this documentary uh film project right now and my friend was with me and we just totally kicked it with Alton uh <laughs> for 45 minutes real down to earth guy i mean he's a piano prodigy he's a really smart interesting person and we talked about photography and art and and he was very anxious to meet Ai Weiwei because he's bought a lot of his works before in the mm-hmm. past. He's he's he was he's, he was really it was almost weird watching Elton John be a little bit fanboyish, fanboyish, and, and a little bit starstruck. Um, and uh, I mean, he sort of moves in this world of like of top galleries and 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 whatnot. 
Um, and he'd never met him before. And so then Ai Weiwei comes in um, with his with his son and uh, someone with an iPhone recording it all, of course. Right. And you uh, could have actually taken that photo with an iPhone camera, and you still would have won the portrait gallery. Yeah, right? probably. Um, yeah, I was there. The one that the the photo that was tweeted. I was just you know I was, I was standing uh, right by him, and and uh, and yeah, and so they met, and he, um, you know, Elton John has he has like a table full of sunglasses of every hue, and and uh, another you know rack of clothing. He has his whole entire set up for himself backstage and so he gave one of Ai Weiwei's uh, one of his sunglasses to Ai Weiwei's son and it was really sort of just like this heartfelt um, meeting and um, and then you know 10 minutes later he sort of stands up starts doing some vocal warm-ups and then you know he's following on and he goes on stage and it's Benny and the Jets and uh, <laughs> and in, and he's just starts playing this amazing show and um, I, yeah, I guess it was maybe like two or three songs in. He sort of took a moment, uh, paused a moment, and he said, "You know, this show is is dedicated to the the spirit um, of Ai Weiwei." And I, I, I was like, "Oh, whoa, I, that's that's interesting." You I mean, know, you, I mean, you understood what that would would mean, right? Yes, I did understand what that would mean. And it, but the thing is, it, it was just uh, it was it happened, you know, in a moment. What does that mean? Um, well, it meant that basically, I mean, between then and Metallica's coming to Shanghai in, in, I guess, next month, there will have not been any live performances by major Western artists in China. Yeah, bookers and handlers of international bands um, sort of hit the roof a little bit. I mean, But, I mean, that happened after Bjork. This is just this right. happens, right? Yeah. It's I, not going to – I mean, it's, it's interesting and fascinating, was, but it's not going to totally destroy the, the was, business of foreign, foreigners coming here. It, it's not, but no? it, 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 well, it put – Well, no, they actually um, – they rounded up all the people who handle international acts and um, – they are now requiring uh, to see college degrees of some people who are trying to perform or like that they have expertise in their fields. And I actually talked to some people from, I think it's like the, called the International Festus Choir. Um, and they're, they can't sort of perform because of these new regulations where they have to have, uh, you know, uh, show their some paperwork some paperwork mm. that they don't have and and it does it it puts it puts the brakes on things for a while fortunately you know metallica they're all like you yeah know. i i mean i don't think you'd need to feel too bad i mean bjork did the same for a while so right? did, was, was sir elton aware of the bjork precedent no i i think i think he's sir elton that's how one sir, addresses him he's, abso- a, he's absolutely a knight. he's a knight. when you speak to him you call him sir elton um he you know at first no he was he's yeah, very every time casual. i talk to knighted people i always address <laughs> them as sir i put on i put on my tassels um uh no he was a really down-to-earth guy but i i think he thought his comments were innocuous i don't think he understood what the possible ramifications could be of, of simply you know dedicating it to a name like someone out of the way um i'll dedicate it to the most famous dissident in the largest you know, yeah, so you, you say he's world. smart and perceptive. I mean, he doesn't read news about China or what? I mean, well, he's not. He's not. You know, the, yeah, he liked the, the way only for his art. Media followers who are watching the intricacies of censorship and the wordplay going on between domestic media and foreign. He doesn't media. read Dunway dot com. I, I don't. I don't <laughs> think he's. He's on his. You're on his RSS feed. <laughs> 
that guy, Jeremy. <laughs> he Love gave that. up on that Elton shit years John ago. Schlong, yeah. <laughs> uh, Sir Elton. <laughs> um, no, I, I really don't think he did. And he actually, he, he sent me an email uh, the next day and he thanking you know me for the evening it was like really great to meet me and and whatnot and and you know it, he expressed genuine surprise um about what what sort of the backlash and um and i don't know um i i, I don't think it was on the same level of bjork who goes out and starts whispering Tibet into the microphone after playing her right. song Liberation, right. you know, which has a much more uh, direct um, message. I and also think Ai Weiwei has got a lot of supporters who are Communist Party members, whereas, you know, the Free Tibet cause doesn't have even one. No, I mean, so, well, we've uh, known that you know, for a while. I mean, you know, he's 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 been existing in, in, in a bubble for a In a very, a very interesting bubble. Yeah. Absolutely. A very unique. I, yeah, no. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, uh, I, 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 I try, I tried to tell him, you know, I actually wrote back and I, I told him about sort of the precedent with Bjork and, and that, you know, for, for having mass gatherings in China makes people sweat no matter what happens. Right. And, um, and so the, the, the smallest comment about someone like Ai Weiwei in any fashion, you know, heads can roll at like a, a local bureaucratic level right. or and so you know people are, people are going to freak out even even if top level government people don't know you know but it's there's that level of almost self-censorship at the lower levels where anything considered borderline you know is is going to provoke a reaction like that. and, and yeah it's i mean I, it's not a low level case i mean iowa has provoked reactions from yeah. the highest levels of the chinese of government that's you know, correct despite what i just said about having supporters yeah he is uh and, and 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 then you know uh, the best one of the best things that I've also seen come out of it, or the worst, um, is that you know it's been mentioned since uh, you know Ai Weiwei has released uh, the first video off his upcoming metal album, which <coughs> Kaiser has been praising for a while. Kaiser, Kaiser thinks yes. the music is really great. <laughs> it's just it's it's, 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 it's a, it I, takes lo- metal to a whole new level. <laughs> Ta- Tanya mentioned in in the Guardian that um, he was inspired. Also, by attending Elton John's concert, um, because it's so metal. The, no, well, this to to try to make music, right. and try to sort of engage that medium. Um, you know, the truth is, if you really wanted to be inspired to try to make music by people who really can't, he could have just gone to D twenty two. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's 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 a side shot. I'm going to let you get away with that right now. You know, I don't know if we're that was me bumping <laughs> my head against something. <laughs> pop up there. I don't, I don't know. We, might have, we could have another podcast on the uh, aesthetic values of a fuzz pedal um, and unlearning instruments at, 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 at another point. Unlearning assumes that you've actually learned them at one point. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a great story, though. I mean, I think that's just a, a fabulous story, and I'm really glad you were here to. To tell it yeah, to no, us. it was it was a real. I mean, it was. It, I was. I was really honored to be in the National Portrait Gallery in the first place, and then it sort of spun into this this wild coincidences and meetings and 
Um, but uh, and you've only been here for what you know six years. Wait till you're like you know, my age. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, let's 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 hey, thanks, Matthew. That was great, man. And let's let's um, move on now, just in the interest of time, to to our our recommendations section. And as usual, let's start with Mr. Goldcorn. All right, I got, got a recommendation us? that's kind of you know has some connection to Matthew's work, I think, but it's a very odd recommendation, and some people are going to laugh at me uh, for this. My recommendation is to go to what used to be known as the Village in Sanli Twin. Uh, and has now got a Chinese name, which it didn't have for a long time, and seems to have rebranded itself, even in English, to Taigu Li. And it's a mall. So I'm recommending a mall. And I'm doing this, I've thought about this for a while, because I've recently had to take some guests, meet people from out of town somewhere. And I needed somewhere pleasant, easy to find. Uh, So I ended up actually spending uh, some late afternoons, you know, having coffee, kind of on an outdoor deck at various places in the village. And I realized that, in fact, it is the basically center of Chinese culture is a shopping mall now. It's where the finest Chinese culture is being expressed. You have rich people, you have fuarai, you have poor people in harmony together in public spaces. There are artworks, there, there are restaurants that serve the finest Chinese cuisine and the finest foreign cuisine. There are people consuming, there are people just uh, laying about, there are Michael Jackson imitators and buskers dancing. Folks, this is where the center of Be- real Beijing culture, where, where, where things are actually really nice. It's a shopping mall. So if you find that depressing. Counterfeit paradise. I'm sorry about that. Counterfeit paradise. I'm going to cry. I mean, seriously, but to hear you do this, this is just, it's hurting me. Wow. Maybe I'm just embracing my You are age. hurting If you want to feel good, just blame it on my age. But no, you, <laughs> you know, want I to think about China, I go, go there to the village lot. and contemplate how nice it is, you know, compared to most places, including parks and the paradise places that, that Matthew takes such beautiful pictures of, which are actually hellish to live in. Yeah. I, I was recently in in Taiku Li taking photos for travel and leisure, um, and uh, it was a Mac. You know, Wait, that, that same event. travel and leisure. Uh, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. and um, it's actually really funny. They also sent me to Chocolate to photograph the the floor show. Right, this is going to be an interesting article in September. This sort of uh, it's really bad. I forgot the author's name right now, but he's, Gary Steingart. Yeah. Oh. How, how can I? How can I forget? Kaiser has already been portrayed for this article as well. Oh God! Uh, oh my God! This is terrible. Yeah, this is, is really terrible. Me and Cho- <laughs> I'm part of the floor show at Chocolate. Next National Portrait Gallery submission is going to be Kaiser Kuo. Um, the dwarf uh, doorman <laughs> of, of chocolate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Throwing him right, at a Russian stripper. <laughs> no, it's the the village. I refuse to take on their new branded. Yeah, image. the village, right? It's, uh, uh, it's it is it's it's silly in there. You you know no it's, seriously. The it's, taxi it's, drivers know that. I mean, you go. 那个到山里头那个酒吧街那边那个那个那叫什么来着？哦，village. No, they have to say Taiguli. <laughs> Hey, um, Matthew, do you have a recommendation for us? Yeah, um, in response to uh, your musical tastes, um, there's going to be a 10th anniversary music show for Rockland, the old CD shop, and it's going to be held on XP. And I'm going to, I'm going to know I'm going to say the wrong date. I think it's June 23rd. Okay, but there's going to be six or seven bands, including. Uh, Snapline, who are playing really amazing sets right now, and an, another sort of electronic duo called White Plus. I think there's six bands total. 
And uh, there's also going to be a show coming up with a really awesome band called Duck Fight Goose. And they're from Shanghai. <laughs> Duck Fight Goose. Yeah. That is a nice name. And it's called... It's, yeah. I'd, I'd call it Duck Goose. Yeah. <laughs> it, I think they're calling it the Fever Tour uh, in response to H1N1. H1N1. And, no, uh, no, no, H7N9. Uh, excuse me. I didn't know it mutated again. Um, and uh, there's going to be some really good music this month. So go... Go see local music at XP, Mao Live, Yugong Yishan, and all the other assorted venues. And Dos Calegas. Yes, in it's fact, summertime. Twin Show is actually going to be, we, we have been on hiatus for a while, and we finally kind of realized that our singer is too uh, mired in poverty to ever actually have a hope of coming back to Beijing. And so we found ourselves a new lead singer. His name is Liu Bing. <laughs> and, uh, Did you say Doobie? Liu Bing. And, and, and he's great. He's great. Um, he's also the, the, the front man for the band Yu, uh, Death by Sorrow. Uh, and we are playing at the Walk-In Open Air Festival in Germany on, on September, or I'm, I'm sorry, on Rock July off. 31st. Yeah. And so we're going to play a bunch of shows before that, including at Yugong Shan and at Mao and possibly at 13 Club. So we're going to be very active in the next couple of months. Um, but, m- yeah, my recommendation. Support though, local music. Support local music, absolutely. But then come out and hear me play the theme from the theme from the Seneca podcast. <laughs> it's funny because every, every time I play those chords, I feel like walking up to the mic and saying, welcome to the Seneca. <laughs> right. Different audience. Right, though, different audience. Okay. <laughs> so recommendation for me. I, I want to do something that I've, um, I'd only – I, I wish I'd seen it. Uh, before last week's What China Is Doing Right podcast where Jeremy and I ensured renewal of our visas. Um, it's an op-ed piece by one of my favorite ex-diplomats, Chaz W. Freeman um, Jr. Um, Chaz Freeman, if you will recall, was actually nominated by President Obama to uh, chair the National Intelligence Council only to be forced to withdraw his name because he came under very withering fire from, uh, his words, not mine, the Israel Lobby. Uh, for certain remarks he made. Uh, he's never been one to shirk from controversy, um, and he really calls it like he sees it. And as an old China hand and Mandarin speaker, he's always been very sympathetic to the Chinese leadership, especially in the era of reform and opening, even after Tiananmen. Um, and again, I mean, if, if the Israel lobby, his words, not mine, had, hadn't done him in, I'm sure that, that certain things that, that he's said. Are you anti-Semitic? Is that what, what this is about? <laughs> What's up, Kai? What's up now? <laughs> the, um, let me just read something to you. I'm, I'm going to quote actually the same part of, of his, his uh, piece that, that Bill Bishop linked to, to um, quoted when he linked to it today in his excellent Sinicism um, newsletter. Uh, this is in, by the way, I should reveal this. This is in the Global Times. <laughs> I'm actually, yes, this is me making a recommendation to an op-ed that appeared in the Global Times. Hey, so, there was some uh, great op-ed in the Global Times recently about why you shouldn't sleep with virgins. I mean, they, they published some quality <laughs> stuff. Well, this is hopefully on a little bit of a better level than that. Maybe not. Here's, here's Mr. Freeman. <clears throat> the U.S., quote, pivot to China, to Asia, unquote, though justified by reference to regional concerns about rising Chinese power, seems less a response to demands from allies, partners, and friends than a move to retard the loss of our nearly seven decades of dominance in the Western Pacific. Threat analysis is, of course, the highest form of budget justification. The introduction of capitalism was necessary to save China, but capitalism cannot now do without China. China is integral to the global economy. It cannot be isolated or, quote, contained, unquote. China's system, unlike that of the Soviet Union, has a history of adapting to meet the challenges before it. 
it is unlikely to fail. Indeed, China's economy seems poised to match, then dwarf ours in size. Yeah, China dream. Yeah, my my daughter's actually writing an essay. She, she's laboring over it. And I need to go home and, and help her with it.、Um, it's in the syllabus now. The China dream. Yeah,、right? yeah, it's, it's in, in the, the syllabus. syllabus.、Right. We, you will all dream now. Dream now. Dream. Dream. What is your dream? What is Tell your, me. Tell me your dream. <laughs> Wait, China dream or Chinese dream? <laughs> yeah, see, that's that's, yeah. that's ambiguous. Okay, and on that note of ambiguity, we leave you till next week.、Uh, goodbye, folks, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, Matthew. Man. Pleasure to be to, here. Good to have you in, man. And Jeremy, as always, good to see you, man. My pleasure. Sorry about the conspiracy theories. That's、uh, all right.、Uh, we will see you next week on the Cinema Podcast. Take care. Bye.